One day after the Federal Reserve gives Wall Street exactly what they were expecting, we have the market shoot higher today, shoot to the moon. The Dow was up over 400 points. The S&P 500 hit a fresh 13-month high. Is this the good times that are going to last for the rest of the summer? Well, our special guest today actually has a fair value model that might be saying things might be overbought in the short term. Welcome, everyone, to Buy, Hold, Sell. I'm your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith, out in sunny and hot Scottsdale, Arizona. And our featured guest today is Gina Martin-Adams. She is the chief equity strategist and head of... A global head of portfolio strategy. Easy for you to say, Todd. Gina, welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to start with you because you, I saw a note on the Bloomberg today that you are stating that this fair value model that you guys track at Bloomberg Intelligence actually may have an overbought signal here for the short term. Can you explain that for the audience? Yeah, sure. So we run a fair value model, which really incorporates actually consensus expectations for a subset of macroeconomic indicators. These macroeconomic indicators are, of course, pointing a little bit bearish for stocks. So it does suggest that the fair value of the equity market is at least is around 4150 rather than 4400 for the S&P 500, which is where we are today. Now, I have to caveat this with the fact that this is the only model that we run that is actually pointing to a bearish condition. Just a week ago, we updated our market regime model, which suggests uh, mm -hmm. moderately positive returns should be expected for stocks. Several months prior to that, we updated our economic regime model, which was suggesting the worst was actually passing. Most of our work on earnings is suggesting that earnings are bottoming now and likely to improve going forward. And all the way back in October of last year, we were running models that suggest sentiment was completely washed out. And it was a major opportunity for investors to get into the market. So I do want to caveat it a little bit because every other piece of work that we do suggests that there is some support and this market has some generally long-term support. But there is this model outstanding. And I think it is reflective of what is in consensus right now. And the consensus believes that we are headed into some sort of economic recession. The consensus is holding back on any kind of optimism because of that belief. And that is holding back the fair value of the equity market in a nutshell. Okay, Toby, I have to go to you. You have been bearish on this market. You seem to continue to be bearish, even though we are in a roaring bull market right now. Has your stance changed at all? Well, first, Todd, you ignorant slut. I have not been fully bearish all the way through. If you look at my portfolio, I'm 80% invested, you nimrod. Number one. Number two. Um, I have to turn the screws on you. Come uh, on. I, uh, number two, uh, since I believe March 3rd, uh, we took our cash out. We were we were in 70% cash. We're now in 25% cash. So, so that's not bearish. But- there is some interesting shizzle going on. Me and Snoop were talking this morning. And <laughs> one of the things that just blows me away, and again, I, you know, I can use, she has, she has some great uh, formulas. She has some great retcon, et cetera. I go to the Wall Street Journal, new highs and new lows. And 52-week lows. On, and on March 3rd, it flipped for more 52-week highs and 52-week lows. And in essence, in this part of this, what, 278-week bear market? That was sort of, you know, the bottom bottom. We had the retest, right? So the market itself has, has six or seven different pieces that could explain whatever you want to explain. Now, my favorite one is the automatic trading, you know, the quant guys. I think the Wall Street Journal last week put a, a pretty big article on how the quantitative guys were holding up the market, meaning that their indicators, their formulas 
um, not artificial intelligence, just logarithms, okay, and algorithms, um, were saying, hey, you know, we're basically what I, what I was saying, which was that Gina was absolutely right. The last October, I mean, it was gloom and doom and gloom and doom. And if you had the stomach to, you know, be long stocks or start adding, you know, you've done well. The quants on a, on a volume basis, though, have been off the charts, meaning that they've been significantly higher than normal. And that gave a base, right? Because the quant model, if, if it hits the right stuff in the model, then it buys. And it's the marginal buyer, meaning it's, it's, not, it's a price insensitive buyer. That built the base, right? Then you let the AI fuse and you know, all of a sudden you take the combination of A, you know, the imagination now being un, you know, unleashed, holy moly, what if, what if, what if, which reminded me a lot, by the way, of like 1998 in the dot-com craziness. And then the other one is in the tech world, clearly, and boy, you should go to uh, uh, Silicon Valley, which I was up last week. There's like 550,000 people unemployed up there in the tech industry. Now they're going to mm -hmm. other places, but when you take all of those layoffs and you have basically the same revenue, your earnings per share in a tech company, uh, particularly if it's recurring like software, et cetera, man, you just, you know, your, your, your EPS goes through the roof. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that the, you know, the eight stocks, and then the final thing I'll quit ranting on, but I just, it, you know, everybody was like, oh my God, eight stocks are 38 or 42% of the S&P 500, et cetera. It's way like, it's always been that way. If you go back through the history of new bull markets, they're always led by 10% or less of the stocks. That goes back to like 1890. I was not even uh, uh, born by 1890. I want you to know that, Todd. And the <laughs> the it's always that way. Why is that? Because yeah. you have a new regime to use. Her, 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 I love that word regime, by the way. I, I, I know you Schoenbergers like the word regime, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just... You know, that's what happens when you change. All of a sudden, the you know, the animal spirits yeah. start going. Uh, all of a sudden, instead of everything looking dark, you see some lightness, you don't want to miss it. Then FOMO, fear of missing out, comes in. And and then you have real investors, because remember, the 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 real you know in, individual investor has not been in this really up until the last uh, 30 days. So that'll be quiet now. Okay, well, there definitely is a bull regime right now. I would yeah. I would say that. Gina, I, the one thing I don't understand is here you had a, when we started this year, the hope was that we'd have Fed rate cuts by the, in the second half of this year. Jerome Powell yesterday came right out and said, guys, we're years away from anything like that. As a matter of fact, he even said we're getting two more rate hikes. You would think that the Wall Street traders would just be bearish off of that news, yet it was a complete opposite, the 180. Now your model, your fair value model says this. I know you guys are tracking many models, but do you feel right now, now's a great time? Are we off to the races here for a prolonged bull market? Well, look, I think the other thing coming into this year that, you know, in addition to anticipating a Fed rate cut, the market was also anticipating a massive earnings recession, which is not coming to fruition. And, you know, beyond AI and technology, what we are seeing is the the friendliest inflation conditions in support of margin expansion that we've seen in several years, not even just better than 2022. But if you look at the spread between consumer prices and producer prices, it's at multi-year highs Yeah. all of a sudden, whereas last year it was at multi-year lows where companies were contending with tremendous inflation pressure across the board. Those inflation pressures are easing very quickly. Producer prices are dropping much faster than consumer prices, and that's allowing for some degree of margin improvement 
consensus margin for forecasts for the next 12 months are back to where they were at the start of 2022 all of a sudden. Hey, Gina. So wow. what we're seeing is much, much better margin conditions emerge, which is creating a much more stable earnings outlook, which is powering a better environment for stock for stock prices in general. You know, how do you how, how do you factor in, you know, the 20, 30, 40 percent drop in almost all commodity prices, including Dr. Copper? Now, obviously, that's yeah. China, uh, et cetera. But how does that fit into your model? Because I've never really seen uh, I've seen commodity prices come down when demand comes down, when global demand comes down. And how is that consistent then with the bull market? Because Does that just raise margins? I mean, because of these lower costs? Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of the consequences of recessions past, right? In 2022 was some form of a recession. If we didn't have an, earn, an employment recession, every other indicator that's very consistent with recessions flashed recession last year. So we had yeah. fast inflation falling, we had orders falling, we had commodity prices finally yeah. getting crushed in the latter half of 2022. We started to see some labor market weakness that never emerged into a big labor sort of layoff situation like as normal uh, in a recession. But every other indicator suggested the second half of 2022 was abysmal. And one of the things that really consistently happens, especially in U.S. recessions past, is you have commodity prices crash. So let's think about 1990-91. Commodity prices spiked and then they crashed right in the middle of that recession. Same thing happened in the 2007, 2008, 2009 experience. Commodity yeah. prices spiked and then all, and it created tremendous distress in the earnings stream. But that crash in commodity prices creates some some reinflation in operating earnings, right? And we're having the exact same thing happen in 2023. Oil prices are down nearly 50% from their peak, or maybe more than 50%. If I um, I'm doing the quick math right in my head. Yeah. And that 50% correction is usually coincident with margin improvement for S&P 500 earnings. And the other thing is, let's not forget that last year, China was closed and China is reopening. China's reopening may be somewhat disappointing for China equity investors, but it certainly is not disappointing for the economies around China, which are joining the fruits of China's reopening. And I think that that's creating a little bit of an uplift after a demand crash last year. So there's there's a lot of moving parts here, but frankly, I view falling commodity prices as the, the that's the end leg of an economic cycle. It's indicative of much better margins for S and P 500 companies at large because what's good for energy is often bad for the rest of the market, as we learned yeah. last year. And yeah, what's and bad for energy is great for the rest of the S and P 500. Yeah. yeah, well, I think the disinflation story it has been undercut. I couldn't understand though how when you were looking at Fed fund futures that you know, they were pricing in uh, rate cuts starting in October mm -hmm. when, you know, what is it? 72% of the uh, GDP in the United States is service and 56% of that service of the CPE, which they follow is shelter costs, rent costs, wages, so on and so forth. And rents and home prices may, may have been coming down in the last two or three months, but year over year, we don't even get till you know October, November before you have a year-over-year -year decline. And since that's such a big part of the CPE, I, I just it was like a disconnect. I, I didn't understand. Obviously, the commodity price came down, but you know CPE is without food and and, and energy costs. So um, where did you, where do you see the disinflation really hitting the bottom line? Is it is it in those commodities or is it in in what? So where we're seeing it most profoundly right now is actually in communication services and consumer discretionary stocks. Um, these are the groups that experienced the greatest pressure last year as a result yeah. of margin compression. 
I, some of the technology story is also related to margins as well. Um, some of it is really just reopening of Asia, but some of it is margins, which were suppressed in 2022 as a result of inflation pressures that are now being able, you know, just the idea that companies are generally paying less for shipping oh, in yeah. an environment oh, where the Lord. world is open is a huge input um, cost reduction for, for companies worldwide, right? And so trade can open up better. Uh, we can see much smoother experiences drive prices as opposed to the environment that we've been in. Yeah. But I mean, look at the groups that have outperformed this year. They're the groups that are actually showing the margin stability. This is not all about tech. Um, tech is certainly a part of it, but communication services and consumer discretionary, those are stocks that are experiencing some really big uplift in their 2023 forecast. It has very little to do with AI. It is really about this broader margin story improving the outlook. We're seeing it in some industrials companies now as well, and it'll eventually get into materials. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the other thing that strikes me is that, you know, in the United States, right, we have 63 counties that produce 72% of all the GDP. And in those 63 counties, I can tell you, I was in LA County and, and uh, Contra Costa County last week, and they're doing pretty well. Maybe not San Francisco, but that's its own little problem, right? Um, yeah. but, but, but if you look at the bottom 60% of households for income and so on and so forth with the higher prices, I mean, I'm glad eggs have come down, okay? I could not believe that the freaking dozen <laughs> eggs cost, cost like you know, $12 six months ago. So we have the bottom 60% who are clearly, I mean, when Dollar General starts saying people are trading down from Dollar General, that tells me that the bottom part of it is not there. But on the other hand, the bottom part of our economy, the bottom 60% accounts for a very small part of the GDP, except for those, you know, in, in those 62 counties. So with a market, if it's looking forward, Gina, is it looking forward six months? Is it looking forward nine months? What about those two uh, GDP now quarters last year that were negative? Was that our recession? Yeah, um, so I, it's a big debate right now. Yeah. Our, our, we have run an economic regime model, which is very simply, it just tries to get a sense of what's going on in the economy right now. Um, and, and that is pretty meaningful for equity prices long-term. It actually says that the economic indicators in that model would suggest that they hit their peak all the way back in the second quarter of 2022. We fell into some form of compression in, in the third quarter, but it also says we hit some sort of near-term low in the fourth quarter of last year. We're still in a period of distress, but just getting past that economic cycle low in the fourth quarter of last year is enough to create an uplift for stocks. Historically, those lows are the meaningful turning points for equity markets. Hmm. So it does suggest that maybe things have gotten a tiny bit better from our low last year, but it also says that things are pretty distressing, consistent with your observations of what's going on in the lower income rate. The economic activity is not necessarily improving, but the pace of deterioration has slowed down. That's what the model is suggesting. Oh, now, this, this is really important, though, is yeah. what happens in the economy and what happens in the earnings stream are not the same thing. Right. And I think that that conflation creates a lot of confusion. I really don't care that much about the economy because what drives stock prices are earnings. And earnings on the S&P 500, 40% of them come from outside of the United States. Yeah. A lot of them are very sensitive to inflationary conditions. And, dollar. and most of them lead economic conditions. So that's why the economic regime model is one model that we look at. 
That's why the macro model that we talked about at the onset is one model that I look at because people oftentimes want to observe what they see out there in the economy, the pace of home sales, and then they want to attribute that to their investment portfolio. And that's where a lot of people really fall short Yeah, because earnings drive stock prices. The economy is only peripherally engaged in driving earnings. It is not one and the same by any stretch of the That's a brilliant comment right there. Toby, let's leave it right there because- um, because I, I have to say that was wonderful how you just put that, Gina. So that, that was great. But let's leave it here on that block because coming up after the break, we want to continue this discussion. We want to talk about the what the probability of a recession, as many economists were predicting. And then what, what should we expect for the rest of, uh, rest of the year and maybe for the next rolling 12 months of the S&P 500? But right now we have Gina Martin-Adam. She is the chief equity strategist. She's also global head of portfolio strategy at Buy, Bloomberg hold, Intelligence. Sell. You can Brought actually you. see Gina's Buy, commentary if you are a Bloomberg terminal member. Go to BI Stocks, that's S-T-O-X, go. Pick up all Gina's uh, uh, writings there and her commentary and her outlook on the market. So that's it for this for Buy Hold Show. We will be back after the break. Please stay with us. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Are you ready for business in brief? Bloomberg Briefs puts the power of Bloomberg to work for you with over 15 industry-specific newsletters available only by subscription. Each offers proprietary data researched and written by acknowledged experts. Top analysts, dedicated economists, senior business editors, all presented in a concise, uncluttered environment. It gives me the edge I need. Go to BloombergBriefs.com right now for your free 30-day trial. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell, with the Dallas Fat higher today. It was up over 400 points. The S&P 500 hit a fresh 13-month high. This is one day after the Federal Reserve announced its key rate decision will remain unchanged. However, Jerome Powell did come out and signal that we will be seeing two more rate hikes for the remainder of the year. But with us today on Buy, Hold, Sell, we have Gina Martin-Adams. She is the chief equity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. And Gina, I want to go back to you on this one because we were just talking about 
earnings and we were really getting into the, what we thought was going to be an earnings recession. And obviously, we're not seeing that. Has your forecast changed, though, for the S&P 500 for the rest of the year? Well, first of all, I don't do a forecast price target. I gave that up when I left this. Good for you. <laughs> Thank God I don't do that. What I do okay. is I track earnings and I track consensus changes, earnings expectations. I track changes to macro. What has changed so far this year is the consensus has anticipated earnings recession and what I think the market priced for an earnings recession last year, and probably more importantly, has come to fruition, but it's come in a much lighter form. And the anticipated recovery is emerging a lot faster than many had anticipated. So what we're seeing is by the, the trough in the market last year, we guesstimate that through our modeling capability, but nonetheless, it is a pretty strong guess. We guesstimate that the market was pricing a 15% downdraft in earnings coming over the subsequent 12 months. So far, we've had about a 5% drop. Yeah. So, right. and we probably still have another two to three percent to go with the second quarter season that's coming. But it does look like we're going to have a trough emerge in by the by the third quarter. And this is important because that trough is emerging a little bit faster than the market probably anticipated. The market is usually looking out over 12 months and the trough is a little bit shallower than the market was anticipating. And I think that that's creating a little bit of optimism. And then you've got some you know, new things like AI that has popped up, the much better than expected inflation numbers that have popped up, which are powering an improvement in the earnings outlook for 2024. At the same time, we're not getting the job losses that everyone had anticipated. Jobs market is still pretty strong. Uh, we're not getting the major economic deterioration than everybody had anticipated. So that's helping to stabilize the market and also improve the outlook for 2024. There's still a lot of uncertainty out there. We still don't know what the impact of five, five and a half percent that funds rate is going to be in 2024, 2025. And I think we're going to have to continue to contend with that risk because it is a much higher interest rate than we had in the last cycle. Nonetheless, it's you do worth, sound very, you do sound very optimistic. Very well so far. Go ahead. Well, you do, you do sound very optimistic, though. I mean, from yeah. a, from, I mean, from the last term, time you were at Buy, Hold, Sell, yeah. you sound very optimistic. Listen, I think we had a massive earnings recession in 2022 that no one wants yeah. to win, right? And it was built upon a foundation of inflation. That spike in inflation was really difficult. And just to get past that hurdle and get inflation under control gives us a pretty big uplift in stocks in the short term. I do wonder longer term, how do we contend with interest rates that have seemed to be pretty high relative to the past? What's that going to mean for the long-term return to stocks? Where is inflation going to settle in 2024 or 2025? What is the end rate for the Fed funds rate. Can we power a housing market, you know, without a big Fed, Fed funds rate reduction? There are a lot of question marks that I have about the nature of the recovery emerging in 2024, 2025, and you know how rocky that may be. But in the short run, this inflation dynamic is very powerful, and the evolution of AI can drive a lot of earnings optimism. So I yeah, want to be short term optimistic and watch those indicators if I need to change. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at the most interest rate parts of the economy sensitive to judge how high interest rates are doing. And, and clearly in the housing market, 21% of people who bought homes have a 3% or less mortgage. Those homes are not going back on the market. What's right. selling, and Lennar told us today, and I've seen it at uh, some other uh, builders that we own, is that the only game in town, if you want a home, is to go where the new homes are built 
have the builder buy down the mortgage so you qualify and you don't mind overpaying, if you will, for square foot because you need a house. You know, you have new family, you have new kids, you have, you have real reasons, new job. So that bifurcation is not unusual given the rates. Um, yeah, the 12 to 18 month lag on Fed policy. Well, it's not 12 to 18 months for interest rate sensitive. Look at look at auto loans. I mean, auto loans or used car auto loans are 28%. And well, shockingly, although I will say that that short squeeze in Carvana, we were short uh, Carvana down to about two bucks. I drive by their building on the freeway here out here in Phoenix, Arizona. They, they leased two 30 story buildings because that's what they anticipated their growth was going to be two years ago. Now both those buildings are empty, um, and uh, to me it was it was sort of the poster child of craziness, and that's getting worked out. And you know, after a while, you know, they, when they take the money away, things change pretty quickly. So a lot of those excesses have been put to the side. Um, you know, SPAC mania is is gone. I we, we're long Nicola today because there's the 52 percent effective short. A position in Nicola, which was you know ninety six dollars uh, two years ago, is now a dollar fifty. You know those excesses have been wrung out, and that's to me very healthy for the stock market because now people aren't just sort of spiraling on the bizarre stuff, and they're looking at the at the at the real world stuff. And then you know we talked commodities, we've talked the, you know this disinflation a story, but it's not deflation, and there's a big difference. <laughs> And I think people get the D wrong sometimes on this one. And then I'll well, explain it. Explain explain it for the audience. Well, I mean, disinflation is the, the inflation rate is coming down. Deflation is prices are have, have are dropping below their you know uh, reinvestment costs or they're dropping below the replacement cost, and that's okay. when an economy collapses. There's no buying. There's not enough money to buy stuff. So it it you when you get deflation, you can't stop it. That's the whole thing that the Fed always worried about was that if you actually got deflation a la the 30s, a la you know the 1890s, where where you know the, the dollar starts to de depreciate, and then you know you got wagons of uh, of uh, Deutschmarks to go buy. Okay, that's what they the Fed the, all the people I know who work with the Fed and bid on the Fed. That's the thing that keeps them up at night, and you know that's why they went to this zero percent interest rate regime. I'm going to use that regime word now. I, I like it. Um, you know, in <laughs> 2009, regime. 2010, because I, I talked to Ben Bernanke right after that. And I talked to Henry Paulson right after they came out of the TARP meeting. Uh, yeah. I was Fox News. I remember I was, that. I was with Trent Lott. Those guys I came remember, out yeah. and women, but mostly men. And they were white as a ghost. And Trent Lott is already as white as a ghost. Uh, Bernanke doesn't look like he's seen sun in like 20 years. And they they basically <laughs> said, Hank Paulson said, look me in the eye. If we don't pass TARP, then on Monday, this is a Friday, on Monday, people aren't going to be able to pull cash out of their ATM. And then we're going to have deflation. That's the thing that scares the hell out of a monetary bankers. So, so you know, yeah, they stepped way too long. And yeah, we have to pay some of that back for zero money for so long. But I guess Anita's point is that, Regina's point, I'm sorry, that you, you could, we, we've thrown 25 negative things at this economy economy in the United States, North America, and we continue to grow. And I would go with, you know, the biggest story that no one talks about is that the Western world has a negative person, you know, birth to death rate. And we're in a world where um, we have to have AI come up because nobody else can do, you know, these jobs. We have South Korea where they have a negative 
return rate, they're, they're going to go from 55 million to 28 million population over the next 20 years. I mean, the Western economies are not having babies. And because they're not having babies, you know, our economy is at risk. And, and when you start taking people out of an economy, that is disinflationary, but then it turns to deflationary when you don't have enough, you know, the economy starts to go down because you don't have enough people to buy it because blah, blah, blah. So Mm -hmm. I'll go back to that point is that I don't know whether, you know, AI really got going when NVIDIA came up with a chip, you know, a a chip that could do 30 trillion calculations a second. That's how chat GPT really got going. That's how all this stuff got going. But, you know, I don't know if you believe in heaven or hell or whatever, but somebody's looking out for the human race because if we don't, didn't get AI and we don't get it quickly, uh, this, this disintermediation of the workforce because there's just not enough people to come up. That's like the big overhang story that I don't think anybody talks about, Todd, because it's just too bizarre to get into. And I won't go right. over it again, I promise. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, with Gino, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, the negatives, the challenges, the headwinds, everything else. I mean, you, you watch Bloomberg. I mean, a lot of the guests, that's all they talk about is all these headwinds that are happening. I like to talk about the good news and the positives here. So you said that Bloomberg Intelligence is tracking several models. What is the best looking model right now? What And what does that signal for the markets? Yeah, it's a combination of things. So the, one of the first models that turned for us was actually our sector scorecards. We do a sector yeah. allocation model. And that as of December was pushing towards cyclical sectors relative to defensive sectors as much better, better position to perform well in 2023. So it had started to push into things like industrials. It's now signaling still cyclical sectors, consumer discretionary, communication services, technology, and industrials are all four at the top of the scorecard, where sectors like consumer staples, utilities, healthcare, some of the more classic defensive sectors are at the bottom of the scorecard. So that's very consistently and even progressively gotten more aggressive over the course of the last three quarters. So we're pretty proud of that model. And it has guided us relatively well to be more optimistically positioned and is still very optimistically positioned. I'd say second to that, we run a couple of other models. I've noted my market regime model is something that throughout 2022, it really just takes signals from the equity market itself. So it looks at things like the correlate inter- intermarket correlations, stock correlations between each other with each other, looks at volatility, realized volatility in the equity market, uh, looks at breadth in the equity market. It's a subset of six different indicators. The market regime model also had been very bearish throughout 2022. Mm-hmm. It just in the second quarter finally gave up on that sort of bearish regime and says now, actually, it's a much more friendly climate for equity market returns. It suggests you should get high single digit returns to equities over the time horizon, the next six to 12 months. So that's from a regime perspective, much more supportive. Um, You know, our sentiment models have also reached what I would call Goldilocks, whereas last year sentiment was horrific, gave us a huge buy signal in October. It actually gave us a sell signal at the end of January as well, since sentiment had gotten way too ahead of itself. Through the spring season, it's just been Goldilocks sentiment somewhere in between too hot, too cold, no worries on sentiment. So Generally, that's pretty good conditions for adding to equity portfolios. Um, you know, I'd that's say my favorite one. The board, generally pretty supportive conditions. The one thing that is holding everybody back is this fear about the economy and this fear of what higher interest rates mean. Um, and what about you know, the bond on market? That point, I'm increasingly convinced that we didn't have enough time with zero percent interest rates to really build up a tremendous amount of excess. Most of the time, with zero percent interest rates, following that great financial crisis, come 
companies and consumers were deleveraging. In particular, the financial sector was deleveraging and the consumer yeah. household space was deleveraging. So we weren't piling on debt at 0%. The only time we had to lever up was really in 2020 and 21. That's when we saw some leverage. So mm-hmm. the period of time that we have to delever from where as interest rates go higher is a really small, yeah, short small period period. of time. This is not like typical economic cycles. Yeah. So I don't know what the interest rate increases really mean long-term, but I think we're all presuming that, oh my gosh, interest rates go from zero to five. We have to have some really devastating economic impacts. We certainly can have a lot of financial market volatility when interest rates go from zero to five. We learned that last year. But do we have to have truly devastating economic impacts? I think that's really up for debate because I don't know how much we truly took advantage of that zero percentage when it was in a, the midst of the pandemic. Everyone was shut at home anyway. So how much could we really lever up? Certainly there were some unrealistic businesses, some, you know, investments built upon a foundation of 0% interest. But as you noted earlier, Toby, it, those were specs. That's gone. Yeah, that's right? gone. That's I gone think. from the market. We're seeing some of those unprofitable enterprises absolutely fold. I think there's still a little bit of that risk out there, but I might. I'm I'm, con- I'm increasingly convinced that a lot of people are over attributing the meaning of this interest rate move based upon historical performance that is not necessarily really indicative of the period that we've just. Yeah, been. I mean, I, Gina. Another thing that just you know is head shaking sometimes. Is and when I shake my head, that there's a lot going on there. Okay, that, that <laughs> the the pandemic, you know, number, you know, no one who's been around during after World War One during a pandemic, right? So every playbook got thrown out. Whatever you know, how you made decisions based on historical, there was no precedent, right? And now, yeah, we were like long Zoom because on oh my lord, I never used Zoom, and all of a sudden I'm doing it five times a day, and everybody else has to get that. And but we knew that was going to be a pandemic cycle that we just had never, you know, there was no model for a pandemic cycle. Now, now we're at that point where, for instance, in healthcare, it's the reverse effect. Uh, people had put off so many procedures that now Humana comes out yesterday and uh, other, you know, big healthcare managed care providers are cutting uh, earnings 20, 25%. Why? Because during the pandemic, they didn't have any procedures being done. They still got the same Medicare, you know, uh, bill. Uh, you get about a thousand dollars. Excuse me. You get six hundred dollars a month on a managed care patient, um, and now they're having to do that work, and now they're earning. So, so, you know, a lot of the uh, correlations that we used to have, just you know, you had to throw out because of the distortions of the pandemic, and then you had the distortions of the STEMI checks, and you had the distortion of 24 by 7 Robinhood, you know, eToro trading and, you know, getting all your your trading advice from Bob the fat guy, the 17-year-old on, you know, TikTok, blah, 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 another whole distortion. But instead of these like being multi-year, they were like six months, eight months distortions, you know, they're very high frequency distortions. And, you know, I guess the, 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 the number that I come up with is that other than in healthcare, particularly managed care, which is a huge part of the Medicare system, that we've worked through a lot of those distortions, which is sort of what you're saying. I'm just saying it without actual the indexes like you have, but we've worked through the the a lot of the distortions and you're not getting rid of that 3% mortgage. You're not moving, okay? Well, that's a positive distortion. Um, if you want to go buy a house right now, if you have another distortion, you go and you go to the ones where you could buy, have a neighbor who just uh, built a house. He sold it to, to a, a couple coming in from Wichita, Kansas, because he just got promoted to a big job down here with Choice Motels. And he bought down the mortgage. 
so that they could, you know, could qualify, right? So we still have, we're working out some of the distortions, but for the most part, we've worked them out. And if you have 5% less employees, particularly at white collar and in technology and so on and so forth, and you have repeating monthly income, software as a service, other type of repeating high margin business, you're going to have more EPS. And, and you know, the other side of the world that's hurting are office buildings. Obviously, you know, we're, we're giving back office buildings. Well, right. that is a unique distortion of the pandemic and then the work from home issue that we've never had before. So you, you got to overlook those. To me, those are the outliers. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, mm -hmm. and I think what Jesus is doing very well is saying, you know, throw out the outlier here and here, go mm -hmm. for the core that's, you know, you can do year over year, decade over decade. And if you look at best numbers, we're better off than, than the Rosenberg bears uh, think. And Mike Wilson is wrong because he has earnings down, you know, at the $180 per share S&P. Gina's numbers, my numbers say we're we're going to be back at, at above 2020, early 20, by the time we get to the end of 2024. Therefore, stocks should be more valuable, right? Let's go. That's right. That's right, guys. Well, listen, we're going to leave it right there on that last note. I love that optimism tone. So I want to keep that vibe going. So uh, this was wonderful. So Gina Martin-Adams, thank you so much for joining us. She is the, the chief equity strategist, as well as the global head of portfolio strategy for Bloomberg Intelligence. Well, Check out Gina's Give her another ratings. promotion, Todd. Why don't you just make her the grand poo by the whole thing? She is awesome. She's an expert's expert. That's all there I'm going to say. When it comes to everything on Wall Street, everybody, if you are on the Bloomberg terminal, go to PI Stocks Go. It's S-T-O-X Go. Check out what Gina has to say, and I know you'll get a lot out of that. So, Gina Martin-Adams, thank you again for joining us. And Tobin Smith, on behalf of Tobin Smith, what can we say? I am Todd Schoenberger. Thank you again for joining us today on Buy, Hold, Sell. We'll catch you next time. Take care. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.